0: We are the faithful few here this morning. I'm so glad to see you. Um, I want to say a special hello to all of those watching at home or wherever you are today. Um, We have a good number of people not feeling well, and so for their sake and safety and for ours, they're hunkering down at home, and we thank you for doing that. They care about us. They care about our church. And so those of you that are not here today, many of you, uh, and are not feeling well, we'll pray for you, and we'll see you soon. But thank you for, uh, for attending just at, a, at your home rather than here. Um, we are going to continue through the book of Hebrews, and we are in chapter 10. And we're going to be going from verses 19 through 25. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the good prayers that have been prayed this morning, Tessa and Dylan, and just understand that you are a sovereign God. You know what you're doing. You have a plan and you have a purpose for this world. You're working it out. And it's up to us to uh, hear you and respond to you in a way that honors you we pray for those of our church that are right now um, not feeling well. Um, we pray that uh, uh, whatever that is, Lord, that you would begin an accelerated healing process in their bodies and, uh, and help them to get on their feet quickly. Thank you for the faithful servants in this church, Lord God, that want to, uh, to minister to others. We just pray, Lord God, for... Uh, um, Strength as Jana does uh, junior church and other people are serving as we speak. We do pray, Lord God, for the search committee. I know we've already prayed for that today, Lord, but they have a job and they're they're progressing and the wheels are turning, but it's not something we know, Lord, that generally goes super quick. It can, but it generally doesn't. So help us to be patient. Help us to be praying. Help us to not get in our, our, our own way and help us to be... Uh, 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 faithfully anticipating uh, uh, what's going to be happening uh, here in the future. And Father, thank you for this passage that speaks to today and uh, help us to respond in the spirit and uh, honor you. We ask this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. We're going to talk about perseverance today. Perseverance. And uh, Maybe one of the greatest examples of perseverance, not in the area of spiritual things, uh, from the Bible, and there's a lot of examples of that, but in the area of science is the perseverance of a guy named Thomas Edison. Anybody ever hear of Thomas Edison? Of course you have. And Thomas Edison invented many, 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 many things, but maybe he's most famous for inventing what? The light bulb. Uh, I mean, when you think about... The importance of that invention—it's hard to—it's hard to measure that—that he turned uh, night into day all over the world. He really did. And I was just thinking about that this morning. I think it was uh, as I was reviewing my message. Is that without the light bulb, I wouldn't be able to see what I'm looking at in the morning. We couldn't read. We couldn't do all so much of what we do. Things would just be dark. And so it really had a powerful effect, but how many of you know that his invention didn't happen on the first or second day that he tried? Listen to this. This is, on, this is really wild. Do you know how many experiments, maybe you do, shout it out if you do, that Edison went through before he got the light bulb right? 9,000. 9,000 experiments Persevering through 9,000 experiments until he got it right. And somebody asked him, isn't it a shame that with a tremendous amount of work you have done, you haven't been able to get any results? And Edison replied, results, why? I've got lots of results. I know several thousand things that don't work. <laughs> That's the beauty of Edison. He persevered. Oh, my goodness. Maybe one of the greatest examples in all of history of Perseverance. What is perseverance? I'm going to give you a definition. Perseverance can be seen as tenacity or the persistence of some sort of purpose or action that you have decided to embark upon in the face of all sorts of difficulties. Now, this could be in athletics. I was watching the Seahawks last night. If you can't say amen, just say ouch, okay? They'll be, they'll, they'll, they had a lot of reserves in. they'll be fine. But um, And as the announcers are talking about, guys have had tremendous energy or injury and have, have applied tremendous energy to get back from those things. It's inspiring. They had to persevere to have that happen. It could happen in athletics, it could happen in business, it could happen in churches. It should happen in churches. But it can be seen as tenacity or the persistence of some sort of purpose or action that you have decided to embark upon in the face of all kinds of difficulties. It's a major theme in Hebrews. You know that if you've been listening to these messages, how much God values perseverance in the life of a Christian. It's huge. It's really. The, I, I, I can, after having studied this so much, I can probably argue my way through a, a victory on this one. Um, that it's probably the main sign of a genuine conversion to Jesus Christ. You say, "How do you know you're saved?" And uh, some people could say, "I know I am when I prayed this prayer." Fine, that's probably true. "I know I am when I walked that aisle. I know I am. All right, I'm saved because of what God's been done has done in my life." And I, "Amen." Great. But the Bible says, "I believe that persevering to the very end" in Christ is the most, is the clearest proof of a genuine conversion experience. I I believe that's the case as we go through Hebrews and all throughout the scriptures. That's why it's so important because it's not how you start, is it? It's how you finish. And you know, we may be facing some deep waters ahead and I don't like to be a prophet of doom. But I also want to be realistic, amen? God bless you parents in the back for holding your kids. I just want to say that. I give you props. The nursery's closed today. I don't even remember when that's ever happened before, but people out of concern have done the right thing. God bless you. Sorry for that little rabbit trail, but it's inspiring to see what's happening in the back of the church. Anyway, perseverance is the biggest or most clear sign in the scriptures of... Whether we're saved or not, I believe that's the case. And so we're going to talk about perseverance in two parts because in chapter 10 um, are some of the last words in the book of Hebrews on the crucial subject of perseverance. Then we're going to get into 11. We're going to look at God's uh, Hall of Fame for faith and 12 and 13. I mean, great passages in Hebrews. But we are coming to, in general, not totally, but the, some of the last words on perseverance in the 10th chapter, but it's too much to try to swallow in one Sunday, you know. And so we're going to, today, we're gonna, the, the title of this mini two-part thing is Last Words on Perseverance. Today we're going to talk about what should we do while we are persevering on this earth before Christ returns and the next time we're going to talk about why we should persevere at all why should we and so today the title of the message is what we should do while we're persevering and we're going to be looking just at verses 19 through 25 and then the next part 2 is 26 through 39 okay now what i want to say here before we get into these few verses is all of these are commands by the way they're not suggestions they're not options they're not uh, recommendations. There are five of them, they all start with let us. It's, somebody says there's a lot of let us in these passages, and it's true. But let us do something while we are persevering. And there's five of them, and they're all, they all come in the form of a command, which means God is telling us do this. I want you to do this. And he's also telling us something else, it's implied. If I tell you to do this, then you can do this. God never says to us to do something that we can't do with his help. Okay, so these are five. We'll go through them. And uh, these are things that God wants us to do while we're persevering in our walk with Jesus. Okay, they're important. He just doesn't want us to bide our time until we pass away or until Christ returns. Every Christian needs to understand that God wants us to do this. Now, in verse 19, when, as I, I'm going to read this pa- short passage here real quickly in a moment, but you're going to see the word "since." okay, at least in my version, three words in. The word "since" here is crucial because it shows us that we're now pivoting. We're pivoting in the book of Hebrews. We're pivoting from doctrine to practice. And you know, so many of the New Testament books are like that. You realize that, don't you? You look at the letters of Paul, Right? When he wrote Ephesians, the first half, doctrine. Second half, practice. Wrote wrote the book of um, Romans, and it goes from doctrine in the first portion to practice. Almost all of Paul's letters are like that. I'm not saying Paul wrote this letter. He could have. There are some Pauline elements in it, but it doesn't matter. Um, We're going from doctrine now to what we do about the doctrine. Okay. How do we, we're going from I guess you could say that the the uh, explanation to application or doctrine to duty or precept to practice, any way you want to frame it, it's now start time to do these lettuce things, five of them. Okay, let's I'm gonna read this, follow along please, and then we'll get into the five. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. That is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near, that's the first one, to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Number two, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Number three, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Number four, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but, number five, let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. A lot of let us in this passage, isn't there? Okay, let's go to the first one. While we're persevering, we're told that we ought to draw near to God. Let us draw near to God, verse 22. Now, it's not complicated. This is not rocket science. Drawing near to God means Prayer. It's just that simple. Let us draw near to God. Honest prayer, you know. Not packaged prayer. You know. Not a ritualistic prayer, but just honest prayer. Honest. You know, I think that's what God wants when we, when we pray to him. Just to be honest with him. Amen? I don't think God wants us to uh, throw in a bunch of these and thous and, and that's... Not wrong if you're quoting some of the wonderful Psalms or prayers in scriptures and they have the these and thous. I'm not saying that's wrong, but he doesn't want us to come in with any kind of pretense or facade. He just wants us to be honest with him. If you spend time every day just being honest, then you have fulfilled God's requirement of prayer. And while we're persevering, not only should we pray, but what? We need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray today. Man, this is, this is a complicated time in the life of our church and in the life of this country and in the life of our world. And you say, well, Mitch, what can I do right now? What can I do right now? What's the best thing I can do right now to deal emotionally, mentally, Spiritually, with the complicated nature of what's happening in this church, this county, this state we're in, (laughs) this country we're in, this world, what can I do? What's the most practical thing I can do? You know what I would say? Draw near to God. Draw near to God. Do it honestly. You know, just let it out to God. And You know, this should be the main activity of the Christian period, but ever more right now. You got decisions to make? Here, here, you got decisions to make? You feel like a basket case? I'd take a show of hands, but I'd have to raise my hand somewhat. You feel overwhelmed by some things? You feel tired? You feel confused? And you feel uncertain about what's ahead? Draw near to God. While you're persevering, you say, well, I'm not going to give up on my faith. Amen. Amen. That's the sign that you're a believer. Amen and amen. You're not going to give up. Praise the Lord. That's the sign of a true conversion. But what do you do in the meantime? You draw near in honest prayer. You say, well, how long? I don't know. I've never told someone how long they ought to pray, ever. Because it's, not important. What's important is you're honest. Generally, if the more honest you are, uh, the more pleased God is. God's not looking for. Okay, let's see. I'm only up to four minutes. I better go four more. Make it eight. Baloney. And so, what do you do when you draw near? Or when you when you when you're persevering, draw near to God. Now. In verse 19, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but it had two words. Brothers, period, uh, plural rather, and all. Or, Excuse me, brothers and we, which means all. Well, that's the, the, we'll let the elders or the deacons and maybe the staff and those smarter, more spiritual people pray. Does that say that there? Don't exclude yourself from this admonition. It says, Pray. And now listen, you know, I could take two routes on this. I could be poking a stick in your eye, right? How long do you pray? How is your prayer life? You know, I know the Holy Spirit does a better job of that than me. Because sometimes this subject is really uncomfortable because we know that we haven't really been that consistent. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. What I am gonna say is your life is a lot better off when you draw near to God in honest prayer. No amens on that one. I was expecting something back on that. But it it is. See how much better you treat your family members. See how much better work goes or the challenges at work when you pray. Just watch. See how you don't push the panic button so quickly when you draw near to God in prayer. It's a blessing. But we're told while we are uh, persevering, we must draw near to God. Now we're given some things that make us able to do that in case you had any doubts. If you go to verse 19, it says three things. The blood of Jesus, verse 19, says we can go to God in prayer. His shed, his blood, shed on the cross for our sins, satisfied the just penalty that God imposed on our sin. And we don't have to. It's a beautiful thing, beautiful thing to know that because of the blood of Christ we can go into God's presence absolutely sinless. Amen. And you know what? No matter how much we've sinned, what a beautiful thing the blood of Christ has allowed us to do. All we do is confess it and we go in sinless and it's because his blood, Jesus' blood, atoned for our sin. The second thing that makes us able to draw near is the body of Jesus, verse 20. Okay? It says, uh, By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. In verse 19, it talks about the most holy place. That's God's presence. It's taken out of the, Old Test, uh, the image of the Old Testament Holy of Holies in the tabernacle where only the high priest could enter in once a year through a thick veil, and that, he had to be covered or sprinkled with animal blood. Christ's torn body, that veil, torn body on the cross, opened the the veil, the barrier between God and men for all to come into God's presence who trust Christ. It's called right there in verse uh, 20, the new and living way. Do you know that every day that you draw near to God you're participating in something new and alive. Isn't that wonderful? You can go in sinless, it's new, it's alive. Um, I hope I'm not being sacrilegious here, but you can go in with a real spiritual smile on your face. and It doesn't matter what your past is, even your past hour, thank God. And there's a third thing that gives us uh, that makes us able to go in to draw near to God is, is Christ's high priestly ministry, verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Why can we draw near? Because we have a priest interceding at the right hand of God for us all of the what? Time. That flips me out. I, I can't mentally get around that. I just can't. How can Jesus be... Um, interceding for me at the right hand of God. He was, he was crucified for our sins, the perfect sacrifice. He was buried in a tomb three days. He broke death by rising. He went to the right hand of the Father, and unlike the priests in the Old Testament who had to stand and continue to offer sacrifices, he sat down. He called it a done deal. And then, it didn't stop there. He always makes intercession for us. That might be the most precious word in all the scriptures for the Christian. He's always making intercession for us. We're told in Romans and in another part in Hebrews. Always. And you know what? I don't know about you guys here this morning, but I need and always. Am I the only one? Thank you. Always. I need, oh dear Lord. How about you? I need an Always. I'm just wired that way. I need it always. And I, I just, I guess I'm getting more transparent in my older age, but I just seem to be more cognizant, more aware of how often I stub my toe spiritually. I don't know. I thought, boy, when I was a younger Christian, I was so naive. I thought, well, give me 20 years, I'll be a spiritual man. I'll, I will have arrived. Guess how that worked out? Getting married, that helped that fly out the window. Not, you know, because your partner is a mirror that shows you what you really are. And after that, then you fall in love even more because you accept each other. Praise the Lord. And then when you have kids, they know how you touch those raw nerves, don't they? I mean, just, just the eyeball roll alone. You know, I remember my first, well, I don't, but I kind of do. I mean, every kid has to eyeball roll their parents once in a while, right? And that'll touch off a nerve. I don't know why I'm getting off on that tangent, but anyway, isn't it great to know that we have an always? You, you know what? Go out of church today with an always in your hip pocket. We say, always what? I can always draw near to God because of his b- blood, body, and, um, and his high priestly intercession based on his perfect sacrifice. And because of that always, we can have four attitudes. We can have confidence. I'm, I've already kind of covered it, so I won't belabor the point, but verse 19, since we have confidence, confidence, we can walk right into the presence of the Lord because of what... He has done, okay? Because we're able, we can have confidence. Not cowardice or cowering like so many, if not all of the other world religions, but confidence to go in based on what Jesus did. Freely entering in. And we can come in with a sincere heart, verse uh, 22. Let us go in with a sincere heart. I for ever and ever... Have st- looked at this, and most people will say that means undivided loyalties. So when I go to God in prayer, I'm going in, I'm going in, no divided loyalties, no unmixed motives. Okay, fine and dandy. I should be single-mindedly on God. But you know what I think that also means? I really do. With a sincere heart, means this: I am so crazy in love with what the Lord has done for me that I am filled with gratitude and total sincerity. I am just turned on uh, with gratitude because of how much he loved me and did what he did for me, willingly, joyously on the cross, that my heart is so filled, I'm a sincere prayer. Is that, does that work for you? It's a lot better to go in with that attitude than thinking you're going to get struck with lightning. And then it says the fourth feeling is a full assurance of faith. Same thing, verse 22, confident assurance. Um, I think one of the phrases that's kind of become popular in the last X number of years, and I'm usually made aware of these things just about when they're going out of style. That's about when I get aware of these things. The thing about no worries. Has anybody ever said that to you? No worries. Oh, maybe a... Maybe you do something or say something and you go, hey, man, I'm sorry. And they go, no worries. Am I right? Have you heard that before? And you say that. That's what God's saying. Pardon me for speaking for God. But when we come to Him, He says, no worries. Come on in. We're good. Based on what my son did, you've confessed it. Don't crawl on your hands and knees on broken glass. No worries. You can freely come in. And then it says our hearts are free from a guilty conscience. And that's really great, because guys, a guilty conscience can be really, really punishing, can it? Guilty consciences have destroyed people. They've destroyed children. They've destroyed marriages. They've destroyed family relationships. They've destroyed individuals who just can't live with a guilty conscience, and so they do drastic and horrible things. Um, they've destroyed work relationships, they've destroyed people. And it says here, we, are, we can be free from a guilty conscience because our hearts have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies have been washed with pure water. And really that's a picture of the atonement of Jesus Christ applied to our sin. Okay, I'm not going to get into the Old Testament imagery because this sermon will end up being an hour and a half long and we don't have that time. But the bottom line is, this let us draw near, we're able to do it because of Christ and we're able to do it confidently because of Christ. And so do it while you're persevering. I want to ask this question, not because I'm mean and all that, I don't want to be mean, but I think it's an important question to ask. How's your prayer life? How is it? Is it a priority? You know, it's, 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 it's simple, but it's not easy because we're all busy. But how are you doing? And I'll let you answer that question and make a reversal. The second thing that we need to do while persevering, we're told here, is let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Verse 23. What are we to do? Hold unswervingly. Some versions say hold fast, hold unbendingly or unwaveringly or tenaciously. But it says hold um, unswervingly to the hope we profess. Now that's really another way of the author of this book saying uh, persevere in the hope we profess. Okay, what's the hope that we profess? The hope that we profess is that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came to this earth, took on human flesh and as the perfect sacrifice for sin atoned for the sin of the world and anyone who re- repents of their sin and receives his atonement for them and believes on Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life and gives their life to him is, becomes baptized into the body of Christ is, is, is born again And then they have the hope of going where? Heaven. Heaven. And he's saying, hold unswervingly, tenaciously to the fact that you're going to heaven. People say, oh, you Christians, you're so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. I say, the more heavenly-minded we are, the more earthly good we are. And we're to hold tight. Hold tight. We're going and we're going and we're going and we're going to hold tight to that. Now, all kinds of things will try to derail us from that. Persecution. The Hebrew Christians were facing that. We may yet face that in America. We should make ourselves ready for persecution, whether it happens or not. That's where the draw near stuff is so important. But it could be ridicule. I'm not going to go there. Second Peter 3, though, they, the the writer talks about the people that are mocking Christians. Oh, you, 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 you talk about the second, co- you talk about Jesus. Where is Jesus now? Where is he? It might be ridicule, persecution. It might be just that twinkling, deceptive junk that the world offers, you know, popularity or accomplishments. Not, actually, those things aren't wrong in and of themselves. Popularity, accomplishments, or Sin. Just tasty, scrumptious, delicious sin on the front end. But it's kind of like drinking ocean water to quench your thirst. Pretty soon there's bad repercussions. Whatever it is, don't let that pry your fingers loose from saying, I'm going to heaven as a born-again Christian and I am not going to let go of Jesus Christ. Amen? I I have heartbreaking, heartbreaking testimonies that I've read recently of people who even have written best-selling books on Christian living and who have renounced their faith. One guy, I don't know, do I need to name names? I don't need to. You could look it up based on what I say. Best-selling Christian book, recently renounced his faith in Christ and is now giving seminars online for $275 a piece on how to deconstruct your faith. How to take it apart. And I was just looking at this thing going, wow. He did not hold unswervingly to his hope, thus proving himself not to be a believer in the first place. And you say, oh, that's the exception to the rule. Yeah, I hope it is. I hope it is. But we need to be careful. And we're given a reason why we should hold unswervingly? Because he who promised is faithful. If we hold unswervingly, heaven will be ours. And God won't let us go. Don't fear. If if we commit to God, God commits to us, he's not going to let us go. And so the third thing, while persevering, not just drawing near, hold unswervingly, don't let anything pull you away from Jesus. Don't let any location, circumstance, or issue or trial pull you away from Jesus. And I'm talking to myself here this morning. Two. Number three, let us consider, third let us, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. What does consider mean here? This is interesting, guys. To consider means give some thought to this. Take, take deliberate focus and effort. And so what God's telling you here this morning is take some time to think about this. Make it, make, take some effort to focus on this. Focus on what? Spurring each other on towards love and good deeds say, wow, what does that mean? What are, first of all, what are the love and good deeds? Well, loving God and loving other people more. And then good deeds mean to actively serve with our time and the, 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 the gifts that God's given us and with our money. And our job as believers, remember, this is all plural. It has to do with everybody in the church. And it's a command. I hope I'm not ruining your Sunday. But it is, it's just, just what the language tells us. So what does that mean here? What, what does it mean to spur, or to consider, take the time and thought to, to spur one another on to love and good words? Spur, and it can also be uh, translated, stimulate or provoke or arouse. The New English Bible, I think, says arouse. Does anybody have a New English Bible here? No, it means arouse. Make someone aware, arouse them of this. It means, in a pleasant sense, okay, a pleasant sense, not going up saying, you loser, you should be doing this stuff. That's not, no. In a pleasant sense, prodding your fellow Christians to do this, prodding them to love people in the body of Christ more and to do good deeds. Say, I couldn't do that. Well, okay, then what do you do with this then? Well, I just couldn't do that. I could never spur or provoke someone in a good way to love God and people more and to do good deeds. Well, sure you can. Okay, you can do this. And I'm going to throw one in there just in my own um, because, my own because, (laughs) is this. I think that we really need to spur one another on to unity. Can I... Our, amen. I mean, the devil is trying to use what's going on right now in the world in so many different ways—not just the COVID, and but but the culture, right? And different opinions to destroy the unity of, of of the of the church. And so I think that we need to spur each other to to, to unite and to love other people. To be, okay, let me put it another way. To be united with other people in the body, to love other people in the body, and to other people in the body to serve. Okay? Right? Now, how do you do that? Well, I think the number one, be, be praying for them. If you see someone not being, uni, not, not being a unifier, pray for them. And then, be in, a second thing, be an example of unity and loving other people and Helping other people to serve the Lord, be, be an example. But this is you know this is a concept probably better caught than taught. Those of you who parents here today, who've, who who mo- have modeled this or modeling this, amen. Good for you. You're showing your kids that you're not uh, a, di- uh, a, a a divisive person. You're showing your kids that that how to love people, how to uh, how to how to uh, serve in the church, one way or the other. Amen, good for you. Be an example of, to everybody. Then lovingly, tenderly help them identify how they can love others better and use their spiritual gifts and time and their, their, their money and frame it positively because it is positive. When we use our gifts, we're energized. We're not de-energized, we're energized. It takes me two or three hours to get de-energized after I preach. About 2, 2.30. But I get, you know, I, I'd love to do this. You know, it's a bittersweet thing. I made a really bad mistake one time. I, I said, you know, and the church would happen to be full that day, if I recall. Anyway, by the boos and hisses, it sounded full. But um, I said, you know, constructing a sermon is like having a baby every week. Man, that was the wrong. <laughs> and all the women said, "I could hear the audible." Oh, and as I thought about it, I realized I might be wrong on that one. But it's a bittersweet thing because you. It, I won't tell you all the things that go through constructing a sermon, but it is a battle. Oh, I'll just leave it at that. Okay, but everybody's got a spiritual gift and they're more energized at the end of it. And then fourth, graciously share God's word to them on their responsibility to be, if you find, have a divisive person, lovingly share with them how to be unified. Okay, how to serve, how to love. First Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Okay, listen, we gotta go. So that's the third thing. Let us consider how, are you doing that? If you see somebody really being, lacking in this, I have a friend of mine, a pastor. Can I go a couple minutes long today, please? Okay, I have a friend of mine is a pastor. He had a guy in his church that was really, really, uh, what, we, what we pastors call a blessed distraction. How's that? Is that is that sanitized enough? Draw your own conclusions. <laughs> but this guy was negative. He was critical and he was um, divisive. Please don't be that kind of person. Please. It's so dishonoring to you and to the, the Lord. And I, I'm not thinking of anybody really in general except for f- 10 or 15 of you. I'm not thinking of anybody. <laughs> Just putting a little comic relief on that. But he, he finally went up to this guy in his church who's just really picking at people. He said, I I, I was going to use a name, but someone here probably has that name, so I'm not going to do it. And he said, when's the last time anybody, he just finally had, he said, when's the last time anybody in this church felt the love of God through you? Yeah, it's, it's good, it is good. Okay. And so we've got to spur one another onto this, even if it's in your own family. Okay, Okay. better go to number four. There are five. I number them for you so you can count them off. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I like the King James. Let us not, or forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. I'm used to that one. Now, what is meant by meeting together? It's, what is meant by that is what happened in the early church, and I just need to go to this verse in Acts chapter 2 because it tells us what that means. Um, it says in chapter 246, this is what uh, meeting together means. Every day, and I'm not saying every, you know, Monday, Monday through Sunday that, but, but regularly, let's put it that way. Regularly, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes, and they are ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So they met here in the temple court, we'll call it, of Cedar Home Church, and they met in homes. Call them community groups, home fellowship groups, small groups, life groups. I don't care what they're called. That's really the biblical pattern. Now, there are some legitimate reasons why people aren't here today. Amen? Some people are not well today, and they're home because they're not well. And there may be other legitimate reasons. But there are many reasons that are not excusable. And so while at the same time, I want to give people the legitimate reasons for not being here, I also want to talk about briefly non-excusable reasons for le- staying home from church. And I know I may step on a toe or two, but you know, I think one of them would be, well, the church hurt me. I want to know here, in this room, who has never been hurt by someone in the church? I, that's what I thought. So, you got hurt by someone in your own family. What happens? They leave. You kick them out. Or you leave. How many times have you been hurt by someone in your own family? Well, all of us have. Did we not then excise ourselves from the family? No. It's not a good enough excuse, for the, most, for, for the most part. Now, if we want to go to the extreme, but really, for the most part, I've been hurt. And by the way, God, oh boy, here we go. If you can't say amen, say ouch. But God has different ways of teaching us how to improve our forgiveness skills. If you think you're going to go through life not being challenged by God on how to forgive, then you've got another thing coming. And God uses pain and mistreatment to teach us how to do what Jesus Christ did on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I have had through gritted teeth to say, Father, I forgive so and so for such and such that they did to me. Now, that's made me a better person. And maybe there's someone in this body that you need to forgive before the Lord. You don't have to go to them unless God tells you, but before the Lord. Or maybe you're one of those people that need to go to someone and say, Forgive me, whatever the case may be. But being hurt is not an excuse, being comfortable is not an excuse. Many, many, and I'm not necessarily speaking to you at home today because there are legitimate reasons why you're not here. But many people have just gotten comfortable on the couch, right? Hey, what greater, you know, being in my PJs and watching Pastor Mitch, eating my cereal, watching Pastor Mitch, tuning into the ball game over here, watching Pastor Mitch, and he doesn't know. I mean, what could be better? I don't have to get in the car, don't have to fight on, with my family on the way here. <laughs> no, come on, you know what I mean. You get comfortable, that's not right. Okay? Lack of accountability. Sin. Sin, having my cake and eating it too. No. Listen, can I say this? Can you, will you agree with me if I, if I, with an amen if I'm right? There's so, something that can only happen When we're all together, you can't get it alone or with your family. There's something when we get together that can only happen, and it's it's just the, the presence of Christ. When we worship together and study the Word together, we're better together, and we're blessed more when we're together. And we're blessed more when we stay accountable to each other and endure opposition better. We need each other's strength. Okay. Well, how do we get out of doing this? This let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Well, the writer tells us right here. Habit. As as is the habit of some. And what's a habit? We do the same thing over and over again. There are people that have done, who have stayed out of church over and over again for not legitimate reasons, that have done it so much, it's now become a habit, and they've separated from the body of Christ. Let's not be the some, okay? As in the habit of some. Don't be one of the sums, people, right? Amen? Let's never let it happen. Don't let it happen. Okay? Now we go to the last one here. You're going kindly but i'm having too much fun here to quit sorry okay isn't this good stuff isn't the bible great you know it can slap you upside the head and give you a big sloppy kiss all at the same time i love it let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching now no one is left out here by the way remember it's not only a command there it's for everybody And all of us here, again, are included. And the the, the main uh, context of this is today here in church, or maybe secondary application in our small groups, which I urge you to start or append. Okay? There's amazing power in encouraging words. Two men who shared a hospital room ended up becoming friends, and one was allowed to sit up for an hour every day His bed was beside the window. The other man spent his life flat on his back. Each day, the man at the window would describe the activity uh, and color of the outside world, the park overlooking the lake, the ducks swimming, children playing, couples walking hand in hand, the skyline in the distance. His friend who could see none of this smiled and imagined it all in his mind's eye. And one day the man by the window died and his roommate moved into his place and he propped himself up to look outside and was amazed to see a drab cinder-blocked wall. Confused he asked the nurse how come his friend had described the scenery in such glowing terms. She replied, "Actually, he was blind and couldn't even see the wall. He just wanted to encourage you." You know the Bible says in Proverbs 18:21 that the tongue has the power of life and death. The power of life and death are in the tongue. And it's in your tongue, in my tongue, every single Sunday morning. And every time you go to a small group or even meet with a Christian. The power of life and death is in your tongue. In mine every Sunday morning, that's the context. that's the context. When we assemble together, one-on-one or, and I think it's mostly here at, at church-wise but you know I'm not going to hang on to that a thousand percent, but mostly, we need to be encouraging each other with this I don't know what, what's a tongue, it's, a, it's not an organ. it's a muscle. OK, with this muscle. We need to encourage each other, okay? And we need, before we ever get here, even the night before we get here, to pray for God, to use this muscle on someone to encourage them. You say, well, um, I'm coming to church to get my needs met. I, I want a sermon. Well, okay, that's fine. But there are a lot of needs in, of the church every Sunday. Lots of them. In fact, I've said it before. Everyone that you see in church on a Sunday morning is fighting a battle that we know nothing about. I'm fighting a battle or two that you know nothing about. And the person around you is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. And God may have commissioned you to encourage them. And that's really the definition of encourage. Well, let me give you a definition of encouragement. My homemade definition definition is giving others more reasons to have courage. I made that up on my own. I don't make too much up on my own. I steal, beg, borrow most of what I get. But that was my own. And then I come to find out Webster's dictionary agrees with me. (laughs) That was really cool. Webster says to encourage means to inspire with courage, spirit, or hope; to raise or increase the confidence of; to animate, enhearten, and help forward. Especially, I will add, the difficult days we're in—the COVID days—we're we're looking at our, the crumbling of our society, our world, morally. We're we're looking at a time in our church when. I'm not going to call it a holding pattern. I I, I don't think I like that term. But when we're praying and anticipating our new pastor, and so there's an interim period, and it's tough sometimes. And people need to be encouraged. That's going to be okay. Is it going to be okay? It's going to be okay. Debbie and I have done a number of these. It's going to be okay. But sometimes you have to go through the muck to get into the open space. And we need to encourage each other. Encouragement means the opposite of discourage, okay? You say, well, I'm an introvert, I'm, I'm shy. Well, okay, it does say that here. It says, let us encourage one another all, and all the more the day, as you see the day approaching, unless you're an introvert or shy. <laughs> There's no exception clause here. It's wrong to come in, to church and sit and soak and split. God has commissioned you to find someone, if, if possible, to come, and I, these are very dirty words to use in a church, so I want to be careful, to come early <laughs> and find someone and say, These very, very difficult words, hi. How are you? And then listen. It's, Deb and I pray about that almost every week. Who have you asked us to see at church and say hi to? To come early to. We come early on purpose. Okay, and I know that's hard sometimes, but we do. Make an encouragement, a ministry, okay? God will empower you if you don't feel like you have the right words. You don't need the right words. Let the other person use all the words. The hardest thing I have to do when I'm with people is to shut up and listen. Okay? Look for opportunities. It means taking our eyes off self and putting him on others. And it says here, do it all the more as you see the day approaching. There's a day approaching, guess what? When Christ is going to return and you'll never have an opportunity again to encourage a church, a person in church on this earth on a Sunday morning. You'll never have another opportunity. Now, heaven's gonna be great, but you won't have an opportunity like you have on earth. And goodness knows um, as the day approaches, we would need to encourage each other more and more, right? So we're told, do it. And we get blessed. We get blessed by doing it. Don't just come in and sit down and hunker down. You know, you're to be a missionary to your fellow Christians with encouragement and with words and with a listening ear every single time. And I know that doesn't come easy. I want to close with a couple of thoughts. One, are you a believer? Now, I know probably most here are. Maybe there's one that's not. I'm talking to you or online somewhere. Are you ready for that day of judgment? For the Christian, we'll be evaluated on how we stewarded our time, talents, and treasures. But on judgment day, that's the believer's judgment, but on judgment day for the unbeliever, You'll be separated from God for eternity in hell. But God doesn't want that. He wants you to be saved. And everything we talked about at the beginning of this message, he's done everything possible that you need to do that, right? His body was torn on the cross to pay for your sin. And if you receive that sincerely, you are going to heaven, But then to those of us who are Christians here today, um, what are you doing while you're persevering? Just kind of passing your time? waiting until he returns? Hunkering down? No, we're told to do five things. One, draw near to God. Two, hold unswervingly to the hope you profess. Three, spur one another on to unity, love, and good deeds. Four, don't give up meeting together as are in the habit of some, if you can be here then you should be here and of course there are exceptions but make sure God's giving you that permission to make an exception and it's not humanly devised and then encourage one another as you see the day approaching let's stand and worship and uh, end our service with a great song Father God we uh, thank you for the word of God that um, encourages us and challenges us and comforts us and helps us to grow. Help these not to go in one ear and out the other, but may they stick to our spiritual ribs and may we apply what we've heard today. Bless our fellow Christians who are at home today by necessity. Um, Bring healing into their bodies. Um, Touch them. Grace them. um, Encourage them. And uh, help them to know that we love them and, uh, and that we're praying for them. And Father, bless our church with unbelievable unity and love and direction as we pursue these waters. A little bit choppy sometimes, but you will get us to safe harbor if we trust you, and we do. And then, Lord God, just uh, thank you for my parents here today. We love them. Thank you for... Give them kudos today for bringing their children and, 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 and just wanting to minister and listen. We, we, are, we are proud of them, and we thank you for them. Thank you now, Lord, as we go. Make this day something that honors you, and may we find someone to say hi to on the way out. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. You're dismissed.